Iowa's most famous murder spree. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. West, I felt like I knew a lot about true crime. I loved it. I lived it. I breathed it. Um, but there are still some things. Well, you hope you didn't really live it. No, I didn't live it. I lived <laughs> it in the sense that I experientially, it was a part of my life, but not experientially, experientially. Like I didn't, no one was murdered in my family. Right. Like I didn't kill anybody. But I just always had, I remember, that, <laughs> I don't know, I turned it off. Um, anyway, sorry, we're very popular. Yeah. We can't be bothered. But uh, I remember like going on a family vacation and reading Helter Skelter. Like, on, like I like my parents that and my sounds brothers. sounds like fun. <laughs> I know, it was for me. My parents and my brothers like, went to the pool of this hotel, and I stayed in the hotel room and read Helter Skelter. Oh, you're one of those? <laughs> yeah, I know. And you want to, when you read it, you want to get to the point where you get to the pictures. Like, I wouldn't let myself see the pictures in the middle of the book. You know, the gory pictures until, like, I, I earned it. I got there. So that's my experience of this. So um, when I heard about the Villisca Axe Murder House, I was like, huh, this little nugget. This little... I'm going to devour this little nugget Probably now. big for the people involved, yeah. but a little nugget... <laughs> for me. For you. For me in the landscape of true crime and murders. So we're going to take it to Iowa... We're going to take it to Iowa. Have you ever heard that? Take it to... <laughs> you never... Someone's always like, take it to Iowa. Yeah. Do we, we, we know where we, I, You know where I want to take it to? Where? Our friends, the podcast Teen Creeps. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you grew up reading paperbacks with campy neon cover art and titles like Nightmare Hall or Fear, Fear Street, The Prom Queen or The Last Vampire, Creatures of Forever, well, we've got the podcast for you. And if you didn't, we're still going to tell you about this podcast, which is okay because... You don't need to read any books to enjoy Which it. is the best part, actually. <laughs> if I don't have to read any books, wonderful. <laughs> Teen Creeps is hosted by grown-up comedians Kelly Nugent and Lindsay Katai. Love them. Mm-hmm. Both great. Great. Uh, dive headfirst into the best and worst of young adult pulp fiction of the 80s and 90s. We're talking R.L. Stein, Christopher Pike, Caroline Bikuni, yes. uh, Babysitter's Club, Sweet Valley High, and the list goes on and on. It's like a book club that doubles as a sleepover and triples as a podcast, tackling questions everyone's thinking about, but no one's saying, like, what should I do if my high school boyfriend is an ancient ghost? And how can I avoid getting murdered at my own prom? You won't want to miss Kelly and Lindsay dramatic reenactments from their book of the week, and they share their own awkward high school memories, which gla- they gladly dig up and parade around for everyone to hear. Yeah, I mean... God, I would share a horrible high school zombie memory, but they were, again, mostly Charles Manson related. I was extremely popular. Everything <laughs> I did was cool, and I never had a negative moment, so. That's right. Can't I, relate. I love Christopher Pike, though. Um, they have amazing guests on from the podcast universe to talk about the young adult Pulp Fiction that has them obsessed. Guests like Ira Madison III, Mary Holland, Nick Weiger, Alice Waterland, and Betsy Sidero. That's a, that's a, have some heavy hitters. Yeah. Very, very funny people. So we still do and listen to this ad. Get creepy today and subscribe to Teen Creeps on the Forever Dog Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. New episodes every Wednesday. Just, just like, like us. us. I was going to say just like Ghost Town, <laughs> but I guess just like us is good. <laughs> uh, speaking of us, just want to get this out of the way, this business out of the way, and then we won't bring yeah, it up get again. The biz. Let's get the biz out our patreon two bonus episodes a month because yeah. if you're like i've listened to all the ghost towns is there any more we have if you if you 
uh, our, our patron on our Patreon for mm-hmm. the $2 month. You get all the back catalog. It'll make it very easy. I think there's a, a button you can press. It's one of the tags. It is called bonus episodes. And mm-hmm. it'll bring you to all those bonus episodes. And if you ever yeah. wanted to like advertise very inexpensively on a podcast, yeah. our $25 you section. You know our reach. Yeah, it's... Listen, I'll, I'll let me tell you something. As as a marketing and uh, Jewish person, yeah. as Jewish people, as Jewish yeah. folks, it is well, 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 well worth it. Uh, I would love to get sponsored by something very Jewish. Yeah, we can. <laughs> okay, we'll work on it. Anything but in Hollywood. Then. Anything yeah. in Los Angeles. No, yeah, exactly. Anything we... in New York or Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, so you can go to... Uh, Patreon.com slash ghost town pod and it helps out. It's going to be things that when we want to travel or we need a little bit of equipment, Mm -hmm. uh, submitting to festivals. So you're really, I mean, yeah, you're getting bonus episodes, but you're you're helping us move this thing forward. Yeah. You want more information? You have a qualm about us not getting in as much as we can? We also have that qualm. Yeah. Let's work together to solve it. And you can message us on Instagram at ghost town pod. Yeah. Please do. Please do. So you want to go back to Iowa? Let's go back to Iowa. Do you know, let me tell you a little fun fact. I I don't know if it's fun. Uh, Do you know what else is uh, creepy and scary uh, from Iowa? Some ex of yours, a family member? Uh, Maybe both. (laughs) The band Slipknot. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. That went in a way that I am delighted by. A buddy of mine, uh, uh, Tony uh, from Black Box Films, he made a movie on the Velasca Axe murders. I remember because I worked with him on a lot of YouTube stuff. Yeah. And uh, one of his series on uh, uh, Verizon's Go 90 that is now (laughs) defunct. So he, I know he made a movie on that. So that's how I first got familiar with it. But I, I don't. I'm not as well versed with the info that you know, mm-hmm. that you're gonna lay, lay on us. Yeah, um, and I also want to uh, lay out a disclaimer. I have not slept much in the past week. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't look. This... You look very, very refreshed. <laughs> you know, I, she brought He's out lying. snacks. If Holy you want to, she's like, "Hey, do you want anything to eat?" Um, there's Oreo thins, yeah. Chips Ahoy. Uh, Chex Mix and what is that? Pirates Booty. Yeah, yeah. Age got, White Cheddar. Hits. I love Chex Mix. And then you asked me. Does, is this low carb? <laughs> it is only carb. I know. I'm I doing know. keto right now. I've been living off of Mucinex and hot coffee. Yeah. Um, Are you just chopping up and snorting it at this point? Yeah, or? pretty much. It's like, actually just, I put it in water and I dissolve it and then I like mainline it <laughs> yeah. through my veins. It's a speedball. Straight to my heart, you know? So. Um, yeah, I've been working on this show that I've mentioned before on the podcast um, and it's, we're, we're shooting this this week and next week. Maybe you might, maybe, maybe you, I don't know, you might see some familiar faces in there. Yeah. yeah you don't know, maybe. Yeah, that's right. Jason <laughs> might have might, a cameo. I might show up on Jason that Jason and Geo. some other celebrities. Yep, some big <laughs> time. I'm probably at the same level as a celebrity, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Do you guys like celebrities aside from Jason? Yeah, well. This might appeal to you. Yeah, so you might see me on some Nat Geo. Exactly. Um, or just will, on the cutting Or December floor. 1st. Yeah. When is it? <laughs> December 1st. December 1st, Nat yeah. Geo Brain Games. Yeah, free plug. Right. They have the money. <laughs> they have the money to pay us, but you know what? We just gave it to them for free because we're, I don't know <laughs> exactly, what. Exactly, We're drones, I guess. They have so much money. Um, but they also like to keep me up till, they like to call me in at 6 a.m. and keep me uh, till midnight. But yeah. that's production. That Such is the nature of it. But... If I seem a little bit more out of it than usual, which actually, is hard I, to believe, which is hard to I believe. I actually think you're a little more focused <laughs> really? than when you're rested. Uh, yes. Oh my God. I would have guessed that you're like, wow, I got a lot of sleep last night. Because when you're like, all right, I think maybe you're too, you're too chill. I'm too chill. Like, and now you're I'm too like, comfortable. We yeah. need you on edge. Yeah. You need me with like this head cold, <laughs> yep. full, like 
first. You need to be like a little nauseated. Yep. Like over. Also, it's getting hot in my apartment because oh, yeah. it's summer. It's going to get real hot in here. And I'm not just talking about hot bits and facts. I'm talking about the temperature in this apartment. Hopefully, no one doesn't die. I'm but, actually getting my uh, my heating is getting fixed. Oh, fuck oh they're finally yeah. is getting it fixed. Isn't that great? That's Perfect amazing. timing. Yeah. Eight years later. <laughs> Eight years later. Right. And it's about summer's about to start. So in, in about six or seven months for about two weeks. Oh, baby. <laughs> it's going to be perfect. Oh, my God. Yeah. I have a. Oh, it's getting so hot. Anyway, let's get back to let's it. Let's get back to Iowa. We do get I know what lo- you're here for. Because I get some complaints that we don't get to it quick enough. Okay. We have some business. We'll we'll but we appreciate it. if you want to leave us positive feedback on CastBox yeah. or Apple Podcast. We would appreciate it. We know we hear you and we're doing yeah. our best. Or how about this? You leave great feedback. You can ask for things for us to change. We respond better to great feedback <laughs> And constructive criticism yes. than especially if we don't deserve less, it. <laughs> yeah, less stars and just all caps. Get us so, above four point oh, please, get us baby. That, please, uh, yeah. baby, I think please. we're at 3.9. Get us above that four point oh on Apple please. Podcast, please. Please. Um, okay, let's get back to it. Get to, back to the murder. That's the meat of the. Sh- that's the that's the blood and guts, the so. gory, everything of it. Okay, so I was looking up. Mur- I'm I'm looking up murderers all the time. You know, that's just who I am. Um, and I found this one, and it feels, again, it just feels like something I would know, but I just didn't. So uh, the Villisca axe murders occurred on the evening of June 10th, 1912, um, into the night and early morning of June 11th in the town of Villisca in southwestern Iowa. And what happened here was six members of the Moore family and two young girl house guests were found bludgeoned in the residence. All eight victims, including four children, had severe head wounds from an axe. And including in that, I think, is this kind of identity of being extremely haunted, much like when we talked about the Lizzie Borden house and it being a bed and breakfast. So it feels like it's one of those places that takes this really gruesome history and kind of leans into it and it makes it its own, which I also, I have really mixed feelings about because I feel like in one sense, I'm like, like, like you're, it feels like you're capitalizing on this thing, but in another sense, it feels like you're like celebrating it in a way that maybe is good and maybe takes it and can make peace with it in a weird way. Um, we'll put a picture up, but it just has, it calls itself the Axe Murder House right in front, like front and center with the sign. And you're like, all right, here I am, you know? It's great marketing. It's Let's great. drum up that it's business. Like, there's axe in everything. Like it's like everything is like axe and blood yeah. themed. Because with Lizzie Borden, it wasn't, didn't they say it wasn't actually an axe she used? And that's kind of like the misconception with yeah. like the, you know the forty wax and the axe that it wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily an axe. Maybe so. If that's true, this is this is a true axe related. Yes, this is very axe centric. Yes. I would say. Um, so some background. The Moore family was uh, Josiah, the dad, age 43, Sarah, 39, and their four children, Herman, t- uh, 11, Mary, 10, Arthur, 7, and Paul, 5. They were an affluent family in Iowa, um, turn of the century, and they were well-known and well-liked. On June 10th, 1912, Mary Catherine Moore invited Ina May, 8, and Lena Gertrude Stillinger, 12, to spend the night at the house. Also, like, what are the odds that you have like a sleepover party on the day you get murdered? Yeah, unless somebody knows. Like, yeah, they're, they're exactly. Waiting, like, please have the sleepover. But it's kind of like, I mean, it feels, this also feels very in cold blood-y, which we'll get to. Um, 
So that evening, the visiting girls and the Moore family attended the Presbyterian Church where they participated in the Children's Day program, which Sarah had coordinated. It's again, they're, they're these mainstays of the community. They're inviting people to their home. They're doing a big church setup event. After the program ended at 930, the Moores and the Stillinger sisters walked to the Moores' house, arriving between 945 and 10 p.m. At 7 a.m. the next day, Mary Peckham, the Moore's neighbor, became concerned after she noticed the Moore family had not come out to do their morning chores. Oh, boy. When was the last time you did a morning chore? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm an early Is riser. Is this a morning chore? What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, just a chore. Okay. okay, okay. So it's in the morning. It's 1045. This is much earlier than we usually record. Um, maybe that's part of it. Um, Peckham knocked on the Moore's door. When nobody answered, she tried to open the door and discover that it was locked. Peckham let the Moore's chickens out and called... They had chickens... Ross Moore, Josiah Moore's brother. Like Peckham, Moore received no response when he knocked on the door and shouted. He unlocked the front door with his copy of the house key. While Peckham stood on the porch, Moore went into the parlor and opened the guest bedroom door where he found Ina and Lena Stillinger's bodies on the bed. Moore immediately told Peckham to call Hank Horton. Huh? Uh, what? Hold Relation? on. Relation? Relation? Uh, for those of you that don't know or care, my last name is Horton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So they're probably like, what? we don't get the reference. Yeah, we're like, I don't care. I'm actually just, I stopped listening to this five minutes ago. Yeah. Um, that was Velisca's primary, I hope I'm saying that right too. Uh, I think it is. Primary peace officer who arrived shortly thereafter. I want to be a peace officer. Horton's search of the house revealed the entire Moore family and the two Stillinger girls bludgeoned to death. The murder weapon and axe belonging to Josiah was found in the guest room where the Stillinger sisters were found. Oof. Doctors concluded that the murders had taken place between midnight and 5 a.m. Two spent cigarettes in the attic suggested that the killer or killers patiently waited in the attic until the Moore family and the Stillinger guests were asleep. That is the creepiest stuff like that, where it's like the the moves, like the little details where it's like just a dude waiting in the attic to murder. And that's like classic horror movie. Yeah. You know, really paved the way, probably. Like, stories like this really yeah. paved the way for, for, for a it's classic harrowing. horror movie. Or like when I think about um, Edward Kemper, the famous serial killer yeah. who, yeah, I mean, he did such atrocious things. He was 6'7". Like that is such a creepy... Yeah, where do you fit? Yeah, exactly. Like you have to like crap. Can you imagine a serial killer coming into We'd my be front great. door? Because we fit anywhere. You know what I mean? We fit like, anywhere. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, just pop us in your bag in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. We'd we'll be go great. with you. Yeah, we're good. We're good for everything. But like Eddie Kemper like leaning in through my like door frame. Not Ellie Kemper. The not, actor. <laughs> no, not Ellie Kemper. Are they related? I don't know. Wait a minute. Is there a connection between <laughs> myself and Miss Horton and her and that? Kemper, Kemper, Horton, Horton. Mm, we what? do good work here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's get back to it. So... There was a murderer hanging out in their attic until they went to bed. The killer, or killers, began in the master bedroom where Josiah and Sarah Moore were sleeping. Josiah received more blows from the axe than any other victim. Ooh, mm. His face had been cut into, to such extent that his eyes were missing. They used the blade of the axe on Josiah while using the blunt end on the rest of the victims. Interesting choice. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure psychologically there is a, you know... Obviously, a motivation to do one, you know. Yeah, it's also like your first try. Yeah, maybe you know, like bad pancake. Like maybe he didn't need to, but also that is such a violent. Yeah. Ugh, like that's what made me think. We'll get to the theories on who did this in a bit, but again, I think that's a very big statement. 
if we're looking at this from an investigative perspective, which we're not. <laughs> yeah, we're not. No. <laughs> no. Um, they proceeded to the children's rooms and bludgeoned Herman, Mary Catherine, Arthur, and Paul in the head in the same manner as their parents. They returned to the master bedroom to inflict more blows on the elder Moors. No, they went back to keep axing the elder Moors, knocking over a shoe that had filled with blood before moving downstairs to the guest bedroom and finally killing the two guests, Ina and Lena. So they weren't like, it wasn't a... They doubled um, back. Yeah. After they were dead. So, yeah, so it's not even a thing where like, oh no, what did we do? Yeah. Uh, it was like, oh, we know what we did. Let's yeah. make sure it's Let's definitely see, done. Yeah, even though his eyes, I mean like, what kind of person is like, they're, these people are clearly dead. We just killed everyone else. Let's go back and keep axing. Yeah. Keep on. Oof. I mean, the, the details of this are very, very powerful, I would say. Investigators believe that all of the victims, except for Lena Stillinger, had been asleep when murdered. They thought that she was awake and tried to fight back as she was found lying crosswise on the bed and with a defensive wound on her arm. Lena's nightgown was pushed up to her waist, so she was wearing no undergarments, uh, leading to enforcement speculation that the killers sexually molested her or attempted to do so. Again, she's 12 years old. Awful. Once the murders were discovered, the news traveled quickly in the small town. As neighbors and curious onlookers converged in the house, law enforcement officials quickly lost control of the crime scene. It said that up to 100 people went through the house. That's what you know, it's reminding me of the uh, John Bonnet Ramsey. Yeah, we're just like, I don't know, anyone's welcome. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, Touch that blood. Yeah. You know? We need some more foot traffic in here. Exactly. Uh, I don't know, take a book. Yeah. Maybe return it later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Up to 100 people went through, gawking at the bodies, until finally the Velisca National Guard arrived at noon to be like, no, no, this has to stop. So the National Guard, can you imagine the cops, like the local cops being like, I don't know, whatever. I'll give a little bit of, because it was 1912 we're talking Mm -hmm. about. Yeah. When it's 19, uh, you know, in the late 80s or 1990, there's no excuse to have any of that, you know, yeah. people just running, you know, running amok. I'll give, you know what I mean? I want to stick up for the town of Valeska mm-hmm. a little bit because it's wow, 1912. Sticking up for the Forensics aren't what it, what it yeah, is Yeah, but the idea of like... I know, you're, why would you do it? You're someone in a small town. These are your friends. Yeah. Like, these are pillars of your community and yeah. you're like, oh, they're all dead? Yeah. Well, I should go see them, you yeah, know? Uh, yeah. Something like that. Although it is very close. I'm kind of obsessed with Victorian, uh, American Victorian... Uh, culture and that's a little bit later than that honestly but still like the obsession with death is very interesting well they would pose pe- like in photos right yeah they would pose- and they would take dead people's hair and make like garlands and things like that um so maybe there's a little bit of that involved in it too um but again it's it's hard for me to imagine being like oh you're friends with that cool family that does everything at the church and their yeah. chores and they have chickens the celebrities essentially of the yeah. town they all died do you yeah. want to go visit their house you think you oh, want to keep them out, yeah. not get like sell tickets. Yeah, exactly. But we're going to take a little break and talk about the theories of who done it. Ooh, we better come back now. <laughs> <laughs> we, better, we better come back now. 
Hey y'all, Trey Kennedy here letting you know you need to subscribe to my podcast, Correct Opinions, the first and only podcast show where every opinion is correct, in my opinion. I talk all things my crazy social media life, relevant topics, and why your sister's gin reveal only reveals that she's annoying. So tune in and hear my takes on all the extra things happening in our society today. Subscribe to Correct Opinions on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. And you're, we're back. We're back. You know what I'm going to say? Uh, well, before we get back into it, uh, I just want to tease a little something hmm. uh, for uh, one of the. Uh, you'll you'll know uh, you'll this will be something to look forward to on Patreon.com/slash/GhostTownPod. Mm-hmm. Heard of it? Uh, a we talk about amusement parks, right? Mm-hmm. Have we talked about haunted amusement parks? <gasps> we will. Oh. Shit. Only on patreon.com slash ghost town pod. Okay. I love our Patreon. Me too. They're so- I have to say, because like we, I think with these, we like really get into it. And we yeah. like try really hard to like get to like the meat of these certain situations or errors in time. Our Patreon episodes are a little. It's wild. Yeah. It's all over the place. Yeah. It's a, it could be a little tongue in cheek, a little more playful. Yeah. Um, but some of, the, some of my favorite episodes are in there. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And you should check them out as well. Anyway. Plugging over. Let's get back to murder. So the town is up in arms, right? We're figuring out who did this as people walk through, dirty the carpets, what have you. And there was a lot of suspects that emerged after this happened. Um, first one is Sam Moyer. At the inquest, it was reported that Sam Moyer, who is Josiah's brother-in-law, just often casually threatened to kill him. Um, but upon further investigation, his alibi was cleared, so he was not there. He said, the city at the he crime. said, I was at another barn, and the police were like, okay. Yeah, he was like, I was waiting in the attic of someone else's house. Yeah, to kill them. Smoking cigarettes. Idiot. Come <laughs> yeah, on, they're like, cool, great. <laughs> and then there's Frank F. Jones. Frank Fernando Jones was a resident of Villisca and an Iowa State senator. The plot thickens. Josiah Moore had worked for Frank Jones at his implement store, which I think means like, uh, I, I think like forks and knives, like implements, but I think it's like tractor. I think it's more agricultural in nature. I don't know. I've been in LA for way too long. Um, and he left uh, Jones's store to open his own store. Moore repeatedly took business away from Jones, including a very successful John Deere dealership. Moore was rumored to have a sexual affair with Jones's daughter-in-law. So motive, might, motive, but there's no evidence to support this. Yeah. Just, Any evidence has been pretty much trampled on. Yeah, exactly. But do you think like people would like suspects would automatically be people that sh- would show up to the scene of the crime? No. I mean, maybe. I mean, Serial I, killers do that. Yeah, right. Like, I'm just saying like double. it might be they want to see like, oh, wow, what's going on here? I know. And someone would who would bludgeon someone and then double back and keep bludgeoning. Might maybe be, that's m- true. Might be that might be in their personality to show yeah. up again. Yeah, if you killed someone... Would you go back to the scene of the crime? Is that? Uh, I don't think you would. It I depends think you'd go. if I had to take an Uber or not, and like if it was like surge pricing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It's a really good. I don't point. got the money. Okay. Um, I feel like I would be too scared to go back, but also there's my ego. Like I know it would feed my ego to be like, hmm, hmm, mm, pretty good. That? Huh? Yeah, you'd like you'd elbow the person next to you who was like crying and be like. Good work, huh? Crazy. Pretty violent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who did that? <laughs> yeah. This will be on a podcast, Do you have right? Any ideas? <laughs> <laughs> this is podcast worthy. This is absolutely podcast worthy. Um, okay. Another suspect is Henry Lee Moore. He was a serial killer. Surprise, surprise. 
Uh, he was not related to the Moore family. P.S. I think there's just a lot of last names Moore. Moore. My sister's Moore? Uh, technically former uh, last name is Moore. Oh. So there's just, I'm just, it's all a lot Moore. of related. Yeah, uh, I guess there's a lot in the Midwest. I wonder, what is that name of origin? Yeah. I feel like it's Dutch or something. Yeah. I don't know. I made that up. It might not be any Dutch uh, name. We'll get to it. We won't. What? Anyway, back to it. So Henry Lee Moore, he was convicted of murder of his mother and grandmother several months after the murders in Villisca. His weapon of choice, an axe. Before and after the murders, the very similar axe murders on his mother and grandmother were committed. All of the cases showed striking similarities, leading to strong suspicion that uh, it was a serial killer. And just like uh, another suspect we'll talk about right after, um, that he, this is a repeated pattern of this this stuff. And it being very uh, violent and similar blows kind of a thing. Um, So this is still a possibility. And if I didn't say so before, this case is still unsolved. So I don't know no how answer to the end of this. You figure like it's I, it's a while ago, but yeah. I think there's enough. It's recent enough where you know there's you know descendants and you know, mm-hmm. great grandparents or grandparents, and and that could be like, hey, you know, somebody in the town talked about yeah. something. Uh, you figure yeah. something would come to you know if this was 1400s. I'd be yeah. like, well, okay, well it's done. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, well, it's done. Yeah, you might get some thing where someone's great grandfather, grandfather, great grandfather. It's small enough. I'm sure it's not like you know. We're not talking about like even you know New York City in, no. or Boston in no. This is like strong roots in these towns and, and tight knit communities. Yeah, and I think that's that's also kind of the fun thing about the murder like this, where you can still get those little nuggets. I think you can still like get information after the fact because of this culture of people being really embedded in each other's lives. So that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. But let's get to some other suspects. So no, now we're getting so many suspects. In like and they all seem order. legitimate. They I know. All they all seem, seem legi- pretty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of murder in a small town. Yeah. Who would have thought it? Yeah. No, no Iowa, one. This culture the never. Home of Slipknot. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> This is like a murder mystery party that I would have in high school. Yeah. Sorry, or that now. seems disrespectful to yeah. this these people. And there's William Mansfield. Another theory was that Senator Jones, which we talked about, hired William Man- Mansfield to murder the Moore family. It's believed that Mansfield was also a serial killer because he murdered his wife, infant child, and parents-in-law with an axe two years after the Velisca crimes. People were getting murdered with axes all the time in Iowa, in 1915, apparently. 12 to 15. He is believed to have committed axe murders in Paola, Kansas, four days before the Velisca crimes. He also suspected in the double... He was suspected in the double homicide of Jenny Peterson and Jenny Miller in Illinois. Uh, each crime site was accessible by train. All murders were carried out in virtually the same manner. Victims were hacked to death with an axe, and the mirrors in the homes were covered. Hmm. But no, none of these people admitted to They ne- didn't no. admit to it. Mm. A burning lamp with the chimney off was left at the foot of the bed, and a basin in which the murder was uh, washed was found in the kitchen. In each case, the murderer avoided, the murderer avoided leaving fingerprints by wearing gloves, which Detective James Wilkerson believed was strong evidence that the man was Mansfield, who knew whose fingerprints were on file at the Federal Military Prison in Levensworth, which I assume he did some time in. So there, there, there are like fingerprint forensics as far as fingerprints are concerned. Yeah, I think that's you know the dusting. Yeah, the dusting. But I'm thing. sure it's not. It's, I mean, I could see that getting. 
tampered, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. with like greasy ass farm people being yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> you guys can't see me, but I'm batting at something. Um, Mansfield was released after special grand jury of Montgomery County refused to indict him on grounds that his alibi check, everyone has shit to do. His alibi checked out. It was the alibi just saying, I wasn't there. I was at another barn. I, it's, who's to say? I didn't look into the <laughs> yeah, Iowa but I feel like that might be what it is. <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. Wilkerson managed to convince a grand jury to open the investigation in 1916, and Mansfield was arrested and brought to Montgomery County from Kansas City. Payroll records, however, pro- provided an alibi that placed Manf- Mansfield in Illinois at the time of the murders. He was released for lack of evidence and later won a lawsuit he brought against Wilkerson and was awarded... $2,225, which is 12 million today. 16. 12 million today. <laughs> 12, 12 million. That's rough, 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 That's rough pretty, numbers. Yeah. 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 We rough do math. good math here. Wilkerson believed that pressure from Jones resulted not only in Mansfield's release, but also in the subsequent arrest and trial of Reverend Kelly. Mm-mm. However, we'll get to him. R.H. Thorpe, a restaurant owner from Shenandoah, Iowa, identified Mansfield as the man he saw the morning after the murders boarding a train. This man said he had walked from Villisca. If proven to be true, this testimony would disprove Mansfield's alibi. Um, furthermore, it was reported that Mrs. Vena Tompkins of Marshalltown, Iowa, was on her way to testify when she heard three men in the woods plotting the murder of the Moore family a short time before the killings. She just was like, huh. Oh, what, what can I do about it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, certainly someone recorded it and we're using it now. Yeah. But again, yeah, it's, it's just like a lot of like small, it's like as good as small town shit can be, like as good as information can be found and passed along. It also can't be. Also like I was walking, I saw this and I kept walking. I mean, to my that, job. Yeah, yeah. Or like to my home, to my family. Okay. And then another suspect, Andrew Sawyer. Every transient and otherwise unaccounted for stranger was a prime suspect in the murders. One such guy was Andy Sawyer. No real evidence linked him to the crime, but his name came up often in grand jury testimonies. According to Thomas Dyer of Burlington, Iowa, a bridge foreman and a pile driver for the Burlington Railroad, Sawyer approached his crew in Creston at 6 a.m. the morning of the murders, and he was clean-shaven, wearing a brown suit when he arrived. His shoes were covered in mud, and his pants were wet nearly to the knees. He asked for employment, and as Dyer needed an extra man, he was given a job on the spot. Also, just a product of its time. Can you imagine... In a wet suit, going to get a job. It's hard enough to get a job not in a wet suit. Yeah. You know? Like LinkedIn. Oh, God, it's a nightmare. Anyway. (laughs) Indeed.com, right? (laughs) Right. Dyer testified that later that evening when the crew reached Fontenelle, Iowa, Sawyer purchased a newspaper and went off by himself to read it. The newspaper carried a front page account of the Villisca murders, and according to Dyer, Sawyer was much interested in it. Dyer's crew complained that Sawyer slept with his clothes on and was anxious to be by himself. Two details that I understand pretty intimately. They were also uneasy that Sawyer slept with his axe next to him. His, he called it his murdering axe. <laughs> yeah, he often talked about the Villisca murders and whether or not a killer had been apprehended. I mean, Oof, uh, this is tough. it is. Inter- I mean, listen, anyone would read the front cover. Yeah. And that's a, a but, but I mean, you, you know, sleeping with an axe, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, sleeping with an axe in any context, I'd be like, how many like, the, weird. The axe industry there must have been like booming. booming. Yeah. 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 You want to be, if you were anywhere in Iowa in 1915, you wanted to be in the axe industry. Yeah. Wow. They're going like hot You can really make a living for yeah. yourself. You can make a name for yourself. Um, 
So Sawyer told Dyer that he'd been in Villisca that Sunday night and had heard of the murders. Afraid of being taken in as a suspect, he had left and gone to Creston. Dyer was suspicious and turned him over to the sheriff on June 18, 1912. Dyer later testified that prior to the sheriff's arrival, he walked up behind Sawyer. He was rubbing his head with both hands and suddenly jumped up and said to himself, I will cut your goddamn heads off. At the same time, he made striking motions with the axe and began hitting the piles in front of him. Dyer's son, J.R., testified that one day as the crew drove through Villisca, Sawyer told him he would show J.R. where the man who killed the Moore family got out of town. This is very damning. He said that the man that did the job jumped over a manure box, which he had pointed out about a, a block and a half away, and showed where the, he crossed the railroad track. This guy's giving tours just like me. Yeah. Oh, he's a pioneer. <laughs> exactly. J.R. said that there were footprints in the soggy ground north of the embankment. Sawyer told J.R. to look on the other side of the car and said he would show him an old tree where the murderer stepped. Okay. Into the creek. According to J.R. Dyer, he looked over and saw such a tree south of the track about four blocks away. He was dismissed, Sawyer was dismissed as a subject in the case when officials learned that he could prove he had been in uh, Osceola, Iowa on the night of the murders. He'd been arrested for vagrancy there, and the sheriff recalled putting him on a train to send him away at 11 p.m. that evening. Hmm. We have one more suspect. Okay. Are we ready? Yeah. Great. And this is the guy I mentioned before, Reverend George Kelly. Kelly was an English-born traveling minister in the town on the night of the murders. This is, is this perfect. like amazing? It's perfect. Like all of these people, it's like the vagrant, the uh, brother-in-law, the well, it's all walk- competitor. It's like all walks of life. It's not just, you know, like all like, this guy was creepy. And he's, this guy's like, he's a reverend. Yeah. This guy was. This is like you know, a bona fide murder mystery. Yeah. Which is another reason I think this case is, is amazing. Um, Kelly was described as peculiar, reporting having suffered a mental breakdown as an adolescent. As an adult, yeah, who hasn't, right? As an adult, he was accused of peeping and several times asking young women and girls to pose nude for him. Oof. On June 8th, 1912, he came to Villisca to teach the children's day services, which the Moore family attended on June 10th, 1912. He left town between 5 a.m. and 5.30 a.m. on June 10th, 1912, hours before the bodies were discovered. Reverend Kelly had confessed to the murders in court, but the jury didn't believe his confession. In the weeks that followed, he displayed a fascination with the case and wrote many letters to the police, investigators, and family of the deceased. Can you imagine? This aroused suspicion, and a private investigator wrote back to Reverend Kelly asking for details that the minister might know about the murders. Kelly replied with great detail, claiming to have heard sounds and possibly witnessing the murders. His known mental illness made authorities question whether he knew the details or was just kind of fabricating things as one might. In 1914, two years after the murders, he was arrested for sending obscene material through the mail. He was sexually harassing a woman who applied for a job as his secretary. Uh, He went to a hospital um, in Washington, D.C., and uh, he speculated again that, I mean, people speculated that he had murdered the Moore family. Uh, in 1970, he was actually arrested for the murders. Police obtained a confession from him. However, it was followed by many hours of interrogation, and later he recanted overall. After two separate trials, he was acquitted, um, and the first trial was a hung jury, while the second trial ended in the... Uh, sorry, he was tried twice. The first was a hung jury. The second was the acquittal, um, and other suspects were, again, exonerated for the, the case. There's no motive. I think the ones with the, I mean, I don't know. Motive, there doesn't need to necessarily be motivation. Yeah. But motive is always the first thing that I, you know. Yeah. What's the motivation? But there are a lot of, like, pretty strong motivations. Just, like, nothing came together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And sometimes maybe you're just like, I just want to do it. That's the yeah. motivation. Yeah. I mean, that's very inculpable. The axes were on sale. 
I, I wanted mean, to I, use one. Yeah, it's I don't called understand. value. It's like practically paid for themselves. I know. <laughs> um, so, of course, all of this, this house is extremely haunted. Um, it's been, and the website too, if you are enjoying this, which I hope you are, uh, go to the website. The website is, whoever made it was really into Flash. Like, it's very comprehensive. There's only one ghost testimonial on it, even though it says that it's haunted. It has a ton of history on it. It has a lot of, like, the different testimonials and things on it. But there's only one, like, ghost account. It's in really heavy, bold, um, like, Cambria kind okay, of. Like, yeah. Cambria, like, very seraphy. Not sans serif. Serif full. Is it an Angel Fire account? Or? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's all. It's in, actually it is a dark website with like lighter font. Oh, okay. So if you're into that, I would check it out. Just I for think that, it actually helps. I think it adds to the yeah. charm of it. Yeah. Yeah, but my eyes, my old uh, aging <laughs> eyes, yes. don't appreciate it. Um. Anyway, it's been investigated several times in various paranormal investigations for uh for to see if it's haunted. The the Velisca House. I mean, obviously. Uh, many teams have spent the night in the house and reported uh, ghostly experiences. Um, not from the website, I found that a lot of people feel a feeling of heaviness from the main stairwell up to the rooms upstairs. Interesting. Various videos and pictures have been taken showing orbs. Um, numerous EVP or electronic auto phenomena have also been recording. Recorded, and again, I couldn't find. I, there's some pictures of orbs, but I couldn't find any recordings per se, which I'm all about. Um, at 2 a.m., the train passes through the town, and it's thought that the whistle of the train triggers the residual events of the murder. Many people have noticed a light fog filling up in the bedroom just after the train whistle. I don't know which bedroom they're talking about. It moves from one room to another, and once it dissipates, the sound of dripping blood can be heard. Ooh. I love that shit. Yeah. That's not on the website? That shit. That's not on the website. Oh, I found that Webmaster, elsewhere. hello. Here's what they do have on the website. A summary of my personal experiences at the Velisca Axe Murder House by Pat Busen of Waukesha, Wisconsin, which is 20 minutes from where I grew up. My first visit to the Velisca Axe Murder House was June of 2009. It was a simple day tour of the house and the cemetery, but since that day, I have been hooked. Since that time, I've spent many overnight visits at the house, and not one time have I had any regrets. As far as paranormal activity goes, this house comes through loud and proud. Over the past few years, I have accumulated many EVPs from the house, both live and residual. I've also called out the names of the more children and Lena and Ina Stillinger, who were all victims in that fateful night, to turn my flashlight on and off when asked, and they did just that. These impressive paranormal incidents occurred in the blue room where Lena and Ina were murdered and the upstairs bedroom where the four more children were murdered. I've also felt cold spots in the house that I cannot offer an explanation for, but were there. Based on my personal experiences and EVP captures along with my own gut feeling, I believe the spirits of all eight victims still dwell within the house. The burning question is why? Is it due to fear and trauma as a result of the incident itself, or is it because the house is the last place they knew, or all of the above, or none of the above? A couple of years back, I became a member of the paranormal investigation team called International Ghost Research Society. We gotta get them. And we have spent a few overnights at the house, gathering plenty of audio and video evidence to convince even the most hardcore skeptic that the Velisca Axe Murder House is most definitely haunted. This house has a mystique all of its own and will rival any other allegedly haunted location. An overnight visit to this house will make most skeptics believers come sunrise the next morning. What happened in that house in June of 1912 was terrible and tragic. It was something that never should have happened. I believe there are many secrets embedded within the town of Velisca concerning the axe murders that may never be revealed. 
In closing, I am glad I discovered the Velisca Axe Murder House as a paranormal investigation hotspot and a place to remember the victims as well. I look forward to many more memorable visits to this house. That's an example of how people should be reviewing Ghost Town Podcast on <laughs> Apple Podcasts or Castbox. That's a great review. Yeah, I mean that. I mean that's. Uh, it's. I mean, again, I get why it's the only review. What's they should have more reviews, maybe three. Yeah, but, but that one she really the, packs a punch. I would say she's the MVP of EVPs. It might be a he. I'm not sure. He. he. Yeah, but the, the MVP of yeah. EVPs is what <laughs> I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. That landed. But we should go there. We should. Go go, capote it up there at some point. <laughs> I wonder how much the rooms are. Uh, maybe what six hundred sixty cents. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> six hundred sixty cents. We're not good at math. Nope. 